0: This is the Joe and Amber podcast.
1: What a wild NBA trade deadline it ended up being. Amber Wilson, Joe Fortenbaugh hanging out with you. You can find him on social media at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. And all you have to do is tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. It is that simple. So it was a wild one as we led up to the trade deadline just hours before the deadline. Really, Joe, in the middle of the night is when Kevin Durant became a Phoenix Sun. This has been something something that I feel like we frankly been talking about for years because we knew that the flirtations between Brooklyn and Phoenix had been there before. We knew that Brooklyn would love to be able to trade him out of conference if they could, if they were considering trading him. We also knew that Kevin Durant had asked for a trade just six months ago and at Phoenix was at the top of his list. Apparently Phoenix was still at the top of his list. The reports are that his management had told Brooklyn to try to get a deal done with Phoenix if possible. And boy, did they ever get get a deal done with Phoenix they get back a whole slew of picks plus of course they get back Mikhail Bridges Cam Johnson Jay Crowder but they get back four first rounders 2023 25 27 and 29 respectively all of course for Kevin Durant a bona fide superstar, to join that lineup in Phoenix.
2: Love the move for Phoenix. Love the fact that a new owner comes in and immediately decides to shoot his shot and put his imprint on the organization. What else were you going to do if you're Phoenix? The championship window with Chris Paul is closing. Devin Booker's going to be around, but you lose CP3 and you lose a lot of leadership and you lose one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. So you go out, you get aggressive, and you try to make a move. Kevin Durant coming in, you know what's fantastic? For the first time in probably... I don't know, five or six years, we're going to be able to talk about Kevin Durant playing basketball. We're not going to talk about Kevin Durant and his injuries. We will a little bit because he's still dinged up, but we're not going to talk about Kevin Durant and his teammates and the drama and whether or not they can work together or whether or not they need more pieces or whether or not he's going to leave Golden State because of Draymond Green. No, Fresh start with a team that wants to win. No drama in sight at the current moment. That's what we want with Kevin Durant because he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. Let's get the drama off the table and quietly. My favorite part about this trade is LeBron James probably had about 45 minutes to enjoy the fact that the Lakers looked like they had built up this arsenal that was going to be ready to contend before Durant moved west and joined the Suns and put the kibosh on that. So from a Vegas perspective, Phoenix plus 450 to win the title. Those are the second best odds in the NBA behind the Celtics. They are plus 230 to win the West. Amber, they're your Western conference favorites right now.
1: Oh, the West now is suddenly stacked. You mentioned some of the other moves there. We'll get to the Lakers moves as well, but I want to go back on something that you just said with how now we can focus on KD when it comes to basketball. And I feel like that's naive on your part because even though Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players of his generation, I feel like it's never just about basketball, right? Like, when it was Oklahoma City, it was, oh, you know, he can't take criticism and you had the newspaper article that he didn't like and that whole bit. He goes to the Warriors. He can't get it done, obviously, in Oklahoma City. Fine, he didn't have enough help. Whatever, he goes to the Warriors. Then even though he's the MVP and he's playing phenomenally, doesn't matter. You know, he's joining a team. He's joining a 72-win team. He's not getting it done on his own. So we kind of, like, push him to go and try to get it done on his own, almost, like the narrative that surrounds him, I think had everything to do with why he goes to Brooklyn. He goes to Brooklyn It ends up being a failure. He's going to be one of the faces of that failure. I know we're going to end up talking about that component of this story, too. But with Kevin Durant, the whole time in Brooklyn, it was, yes, is he the alpha dog able to control his teammates? It's a lot of Kevin Durant personality. It's he can't handle the Twitter trolls. It's never just basketball with KD. And I don't know if I believe that uh, with him tw- tuning, uh, teaming up with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, that it's going to be just pure, we're actually enjoying the moment with Kevin Durant. Fair point. It's
2: probable that there's no scenario on earth in where you're going to have Kevin Durant and it's going to be a pure basketball situation. So right. I, I completely see your point. I'm just happy that I think we are now shifting the balance of power from drama over basketball to basketball over drama that Mm. last year in golden state people forget like there was that dust up on the sideline i want to say it was against the clippers in la where draymond green was yelling at him and then they had an altercation in the locker room afterwards and that was earlier in the season that soured the entire season durant injures the achilles or his calf muscle he comes back he pops the achilles in the finals against toronto and that's kind of how it ended There was a lot of drama that last year he doesn't play at all in his first year in brooklyn due to the achilles injury then he comes back, and it looks like it's going to be something. They made it to the conference finals, but they end up losing, I believe, to Milwaukee in seven. And then after that, it just slowly became more about the drama, more about the inability to put this team that had so much talent to where it belonged in the hierarchy because they couldn't get out of their own way. Now in Phoenix, I think you have a guy in Chris Paul who is at the end of his career and would love nothing more than to win a championship. Kevin Durant would love nothing more than to play basketball and compete at a high level. Devin Booker, here's your chance, man. These guys aren't going to overshadow you. You're going to have an opportunity to get all the looks in the world you want with Kevin Durant alongside it. Now DeAndre Ayton. He can sit there and be a rim protector behind Kevin Durant. This is a team with so much talent, the ability to attack attack Denver with this offense. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch.
1: They're going to be a lot of fun to watch if they can stay healthy. Because let's not forget that that's been a problem for everybody on that Phoenix Suns team, frankly. And certainly is a problem for CP3 at this point in his career. Oh, by the way, it's also a problem for KD. At this point in his career. So I think that a lot of this is going to come down to the health. I think that's going to be a heck of a team to watch if, in fact, they can all stay healthy. But that's going to be a key component of this story. Joe and Amber presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $700 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. I think that we learned from this Brooklyn experience that you have to kind of wait and see no matter what names they're throwing at us on a roster. Right, Joe?
2: Yeah, it's going to be a while before we can figure out what they're going to do. They have so many wings right now. That's the thing. Like, you figured before the trade deadline happened, some of the guys who just came in would probably be on the move because they have so many wings. But if you're the Nets right now... it. I don't want to say total rebuild. You have a lot of young talent on that team. But then at the same time, all the draft picks you just brought in, Jay Crowder immediately moves over to Milwaukee, which I think was a great add for the Bucs. The Nets are intriguing because you can't just completely throw in the towel on them. There's enough talent there that they could be feisty come playoff time. But ultimately, I don't think they're going to have enough to stack up against a Philadelphia, a Milwaukee, or obviously the favorite in the conference, which is the Boston Celtics. They're also
1: sitting 10 games over 500 and sitting at fifth in the Eastern Conference but we'll see what that team looks like without Kyrie Irving and without Kevin Durant it has certainly been a very busy trade deadline for the Brooklyn Nets coming up next the big three was a big disaster for that Brooklyn team so let's get into it Joe and Amber's on ESPN radio also you can check us out on the ESPN app
0: Joe and Amber the podcast
2: legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: This podcast
2: is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8 S A V E. Jets' pizza. Better because it
3: has to be.
1: There's going to be some new players playing basketball in the West. That is for sure a wild NBA trade deadline. We're going to get to the failure that was the Brooklyn Nets' Kevin Durant era. But first, Let's try to earn you a little money. You know how we do on this show. Joe brings the advice. A little wager. You're not betting the house, but maybe you'll bet a little pizza money.
0: Pizza money alert.
1: Pizza, pizza. One and
2: two last night, not our best showing, but the winner was plus 135, so that takes a little sting off the loser. I'll have the updated running total for you in just a bit, but this one starts in about 15 minutes. We're going to the ice. It's the New York Islanders on the puck line, which means we need to win. have them win by two or more goals. Islanders, minus one and a half over the Canucks. It's plus 115. So we're going to lay one unit here. Vancouver has been awful defensively all season long. They're allowing 3.94 goals per game this season, which ranks second last in the NHL. It's also a terrible spot for the Canucks. Third game in four nights and the second half of a back-to-back. So expect a case of the dead legs late in this one. As for the Islanders, top five in terms of goals against defensively. They have been one of the best in the business all season long, and they came out of the all star break firing two and zero, outscoring the opposition six to one pizza money number one the islanders on the puck line over the canucks the divorce papers have been filed woes reporting the brooklyn nets are trading kyrie irving to the dallas mavericks
0: they still hope they can win but the reality is you can't replace kyrie irving for all the drama he causes he is an incredible player I think that the Mavs have put themselves in a position to be potentially the front runner in the Western Conference. When you get into business with Kyrie, you also have to accept that at some point, things are gonna break down.
1: And things have certainly broken down. That's for sure. Kevin Durant, he is now a Phoenix Sun. Kyrie Irving, he is now a Dallas Maverick. James Harden, he's now a Philadelphia 76er. And frankly, it is remarkable to think that those three guys were once on the same roster. We got 16 games out of those guys. 16 together. 16. And it didn't work. 16. No. Sixteen. And what's amazing is of course it didn't work. We saw it sixteen times. I mean you and I talked about it when we talked about how's Kyrie going to look with Luca and can we expect so much now they got the win but last night, but can we expect so much? fresh out of the gate and in that conversation we had mentioned how with the big three in Miami when LeBron and Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade came together it took them some time there was a lot of losing there in those first 15 games that those guys played together if you only give yourself 16 chances chances are it ain't gonna be pretty
2: how awesome would it be to see Phoenix and Dallas draw each other in the opening round of the Western Conference playoffs oh, it'd be so fun that would be Fantastic. And again, for Kyrie Irving, that trade looked awesome. Hey, how good is Dallas going to be? You couldn't even finish the sentence before the Lakers loaded up. By the way, they're now 35 to 1 to win the title, 20 to 1 to win the West, and that roster looks a heck of a lot better. And then all of a sudden, the Nets came swinging from the fences with the acquisition of Kevin Durant. So. Yeah, it was a complete meltdown and disaster. I can understand why the guys took their shot. Durant was clearly looking for something different when he left the Bay Area. He knew what everyone was saying. He's always been very hyper aware of the narrative surrounding him. He needed those guys to win. I don't see that as true. They needed each other. The Warriors needed him as well because they had fallen on tough times after that seven-game series loss to LeBron James the year before he jumped on board. So he goes to Brooklyn, he wants to team up with a guy like Kyrie Irving because he knows he needs another superstar. Irving's coming off the bad situation with the Boston Celtics. He's looking for a fresh start. So it looked good on paper at first, and you figure if you build around it, maybe something's going to click. But, you know, in this day and age in the NBA, culture. It's, it, it's important in all sports. It's important with families. It's important with businesses. But culture. You just don't have the culture when you have Kyrie Irving. Do you have the talent? Absolutely. But you don't have the culture. And when you go against a team like Milwaukee that's just been doing it year in and year out, Golden State year in and year out, some of these teams – It doesn't matter if you might have more star power. They've got better culture, and that's going to outlast you in a seven-game series.
1: As a Miami Heat fan, hearing you say the word culture over and over, it's like sexy talk, you know, (laughs) all this culture talk. Unfortunately, it hasn't been working out for the Heat that much. A very quiet trade deadline for my Miami Heat, getting rid of Dwayne Dedman. Great. Thanks, Riles. Uh, Trying to stand under the the tax threshold, which, by the way, I mean – taxes be darned apparently if you're the Phoenix Suns like that new owner does not care about paying luxury tax and the big winners here at the trade deadline are owners willing to go well into the luxury tax but the east did just get a little bit easier because those new owners were in the west and because all these moves really came from the west so even teams like a Miami or a Brooklyn Nets by the way who again is sitting only at fifth in that conference has an easier path now than before in a stacked Eastern Conference right so they did get pieces back in this trade for Brooklyn they are sitting 10 games over 500 yes they lost their best players obviously but it wasn't working for them anyways is it possible that they still find themselves in a postseason it's possible but really I think the whole point of this was to stack those picks and you got a lot of picks I mean you can't replace KD with anything But you did get a whole haul of first-round picks in return for Brooklyn, and it's just going to be a matter of how they utilize those picks. They might have gotten multiple superstars in return for Kevin Durant. We won't know until they draft.
2: It's possible. I mean, this team should still probably hover on the bubble, maybe get into the playoffs, maybe make some noise. There's some talent on the team. I mean, they're wing-heavy. They need some more help in terms of size, but that doesn't mean they can't get to the playoffs with what they've got and make a little bit of noise. Let me ask you this. Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, you go back four or five years ago – They bring in Kevin Durant, they bring in Kyrie Irving, and they have this vision that things are going to change. It's a new arena. They're the Brooklyn Nets, not the New Jersey Nets. Here we go. We're going to take the city from the Knicks. Well, no one's taking the city from the Knicks. It's a Knicks town, and the Knicks aren't even ever any good. That shows the power they have with the fan base. But with the Nets, is there anything they could have done differently, in your opinion? Could they have done anything differently from the start of this era till the end to have gotten better results out of it?
1: Uh, yeah, not not paired Kyrie Irving with Kevin Durant, um, for starters. Uh, James no, Harden, obviously, I mean, after not that mixer. happened. Uh, yeah. Um, Here, the problem, maybe a better coach would have helped. Like, I'm not sure Steve Nash was the answer. The problem with this Brooklyn situation is it kind of falls on everybody. Now, the players are going to be the face of it more than a Joe Sy, right? We're going to remember this as a real failure. I think, frankly, for Kevin Durant, but certainly it's a failure for that front office. The only thing I will say is that front office and that ownership. Like most front offices and ownership groups around the league would have signed up for pairing those guys together and would have thought they were going to get something out of it just by virtue of those names.
2: No doubt. I mean, you come out and you bring those two in and you have to remember where the Nets were before this. Just irrelevant. They've been largely irrelevant throughout the majority of their existence. When they were in New Jersey, they had that little run with Jason Kidd at one point and they've, they've, they've flirted. You know, they flirted, but they've never really been all that impressive. They play little brother to the Knicks in their own region. The Sixers aren't that far off from where they're located as well, and they've been a better franchise over the last two decades. So when you have an opportunity that presents itself on your doorstep, where two of the best five, ten players in the NBA are going to show up and they're willing to play together – you take it. You right. don't even think twice about it. Yeah, I think the coaching was probably mistake number one, bringing in an unproven coach, someone who had never been a head coach before in Steve Nash. That's probably the direction you would have looked elsewhere, bringing in a, an established coach. Veteran who knows how to handle big personalities. That would have probably been number one because if you could have gotten those two guys to buy into some coach's plan, you probably hit the ground running and it's a lot smoother than it was with Nash.
1: I think it's a lot harder to coach these mega, mega stars than people realize. And it takes oh, yeah. special coaches to be able to do that and to be able to get the most out of them. It's certainly not an automatic thing. And because of that, bringing in the guy with no experience doing it ever, and I never, nevertheless, mega stars with. anybody Uh, that seems problematic because you need a certain type of coach to be able to get them and and you could argue that it's harder to coach those guys that need less coaching or you would think need less coaching from a basketball perspective but that it's harder maybe to coach those guys because you are coaching personality Steve Nash was not the guy for the job so that was it was a swing and a miss that any front office would have taken in the NBA in terms of the names but the coaching I do think maybe would have been a big difference also by the way maybe don't hand the king the keys to the kingdom over to a Kyrie Irving or a Kevin Durant. And it's been frustrating these last few days, these last couple days here, watching Kyrie just go out and blast the Brooklyn Nets over and over again when that Brooklyn Nets franchise succumbed to his every wish and bent over backwards to do everything that Kyrie Irving wanted during his time and defended him at every single turn, it felt like and yet he's just been taking a flamethrower to that franchise in the media over the last 48 hours that he's been a Dallas Maverick. I don't know what the point of that is. Seems petty on the point of Kyrie Irving.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: Rolling along here on Joe and Amber. Joe Fortenbaugh, Amber Wilson. Check them out on Twitter at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can check me out as well at Amber W Sports. It is time for us to sound on, sound off.
0: They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber.
1: The Lakers retooled their roster at the deadline to try to get LeBron some help, sending out Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly, most notably, and getting D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Mo Bamba. So how does this roster shakeup change the expectations for Los Angeles? Here's our very own Kendrick Perkins.
2: They have to win a championship this year. Right. Chris Paul is not getting young. He's the same age as me. What's my cam? He's 38. They made a move. They they gave up Mikael Bridges. They gave up Cam Johnson four first-round picks to win a championship this year. Not next year. Not the year
0: after next. This year's championship of bust. All
3: right. So that was the wrong soundbite.
1: You weren't going to wait for me to bring you in? That was strange, though. That was Maybe not the soundbite that we were expecting. So. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, welcome that to the was show, a, James. That was, a,
3: that was a mess up on my part. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but uh, here is the right one. It's Kendrick Perkins on mm. uh, how expectations change for the Lakers.
2: It has because I had them as a
0: first-round exit, but they actually could make it to the conference finals uh, with this roster. I think a healthy <laughs> AD along with LeBron James, I, I think they could make a push.
3: All right, so yeah, I'm James. Hi. Uh, that was my bad on that one. Uh, so, Joe, what are your expectations for the Lakers after their overhauling of their roster at the deadline?
2: I have expectations, which is more than I can say I had at the beginning of this year or a couple weeks ago or even last season. I've got expectations for them. I think this is fantastic. Look, the NBA, whether you like them or not, is better when LeBron James is in the playoffs and making a run. Same thing can be said for Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's a league of stars. You want to have LeBron there because either you hate him and you want to see him get beat or you love him and you want to see him win. And now this team all of a sudden has got some swag to it. Mo Bamba coming in to help with the defense. Vanderbilt coming in, great passer. Also, a defensive presence. You got Mike Malik Beasley, who's a fantastic three-point shooter. D'Angelo Russell, who can knock down some shots. If Anthony Davis is all the way bought in and these guys stay healthy, I see them winning at least one playoff series, and then it gets really interesting based on who they would have in the second round.
1: I don't know this this Lakers trade. The trades, uh, plural. It doesn't. It just doesn't do a ton for me. It's like LeBron wanted Kyrie Irving, and he said he got D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> has been a minus player this season. Uh, arguably, Anthony Edwards was better, frankly, playing without him. Now, D'Angelo obviously provides some shooting, so that's good, but defensively leaves a lot to be desired. Then you get the other trade from them where they do bring in Mobamba fine, and they bring in Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. It's just not, I, I think that they they maybe got a little bit better. But it's not that splashy of a trade. And you heard Kendrick Perkins just say, it comes down to Ken LeBron James and Anthony Davis remain healthy. And that's been a big, big, big if, particularly when it comes to AD. Yes, if those guys are healthy, healthy playing top of their game, then I do think that they could make some noise with these pieces around them. But I don't think these pieces around them make a huge difference and they certainly don't make up for Anthony Davis if in fact he can no longer stay on that court, which man, is a story we've seen time and time again. Speaking of shakeups, the Nets jettisoned the rest of their big three this week, starting with trading Kyrie to the Mavs. His contract is up after the season. Could he join up with one of his ex-teammates then next year? Maybe LeBron will get his wish finally. Is it more likely that he'll land in Phoenix with KD or in Los Angeles with LeBron? Here's our very own Jay Williams on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max.
2: I hear what Wendy's saying, and it is a thought about Kyrie to Phoenix when it's all said and done. But I think there's a higher likely probability of Kyrie going to play LeBron in L.A. more so than I see Kyrie teaming back up with KD. I think that leadership its a different style that KD will have from CP3. We'll see if they bump heads, but inevitably, I like that core better personally for Kevin Durant than I do bringing Kyrie back with KD and Devin Book. LeBron and Kyrie are more compatible to me. Then I see Kyrie and KD.
3: So, ever, where do you think Kyrie ends up after this season? Is it in Phoenix back with KD? Is it in L.A. back with LeBron? Is it in I mean, Dallas? Where, what, what do you think?
1: Excuse me. I don't know if I turned my mic all the way off for that cough. I apologize. Um, struggle with the city this week. We're still waiting for the antibiotics to fully kick in. I feel like they're doing something. Uh, so, <clears throat> I would say I laughed when Jay said that because, you know, of course – He's a better fit with LeBron. We saw him win a championship with LeBron. We didn't see it work at all with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. I don't think that the Suns are going to be in on trying to bring Kyrie there because certainly... They just traded a whole boatload to get KD on this roster. You're not going to want to do anything to try to mess things up and bring in that problem to the Phoenix Suns. It already was proven to be a problem in Brooklyn alongside Kevin Durant. It's more likely that out of those two teams that he would go to Los Angeles. But also, I don't understand why we're not talking about the fact that he's in a contract year. Maybe it works out there in Dallas this year, and he's on his best behavior and impresses because he's trying to get paid. And maybe the Mavs hand him a deal.
2: That could certainly be a play. Um, I could see it with the Lakers. If they feel like they're one guy away, they get really close this year. You bring them in and you figure, can we make this work for one year to grab one last title for LeBron and then move on? That could be a play. I think more than likely, and I I don't want to say more than likely, but where are the Clippers in all of this? Like Steve right. Ballmer is a big-time billionaire. He bought that team They haven't done nearly as much as people thought they would, especially after they put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George together. They've got a brand new stadium that's going to be opening, I believe, next season. It's time to make a splash. They might be the most boring of all the supposed contenders in the entire NBA because we never see the stars playing. And when they do play, they never live up to the expectations. Put Kyrie Irving with those guys. I would love to see what Kyrie Irving... Paul George and Kawhi Leonard looks like. Ballmer's got the money to take a shot at an experiment like that. I'm interested to see where the Clippers are going to be this offseason.
1: One of life's biggest mysteries, how does Travis Kelsey get open all the time? His quarterback was asked that question earlier today. Here is Patrick Mahomes.
0: I think at the end of the day, it's like he's like the sneakiest guy on the football field. its I don't know how you can be 6'6", uh, 250 and be the sneakiest guy out there, but it seems like even when the play is not called for him, he ends up being wide open in the right spot at the right time. And so he has a great understanding for coverages. He has a great understanding of how to win versus man end zone. And then uh, he, he starts moving those shoulders and he gets real low, and all of a sudden he's wide open. So uh, it's, a, it's a blessing for me.
3: So, Joe, where does Travis Kelsey rank all-time among tight ends?
2: Among tight ends, wow. The, the the rise of the tight end over the last 10 to 12 years has totally changed the position. Because you go back in the day, and you had some that were... I mean, like, Tony Gonzalez has always been the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Antonio Gates put together a hell of a career. But tight ends are so much more of the wide receiver elk than they are of the... Old school blocking and sometimes catching the ball ilk. So for me, it's still Tony Gonzalez. He's the all-timer. But Kelsey, when it's all said and done, the numbers he's put up and the intelligence, Mahomes was talking about it there. If you ever get the opportunity to watch highlights where the camera is solely trained on Kelsey, how he gets out to his spot, and if he notices Mahomes has been flushed or the play's going in the other direction, how he just finds himself into open space. He is a brilliant football player. So he's right up there in the top three, in my opinion. I'm not going to claim number one because Tony G's the guy for now.
1: Tony G, I agree, uh, sets the standard. I do think Travis is right there at this point, probably, neck and neck with him. I, I You know, I didn't watch Kellen Winslow Sr., play. Uh, Obviously, Gronk is on that list as well. Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good tight ends in history. I don't want to live in the moment by saying it's Travis Kelsey, but I genuinely believe that he's right there. Top three tight ends in NFL history at this point with what he's doing. Speaking of the Chiefs, it looks like the Chiefs O.C. Eric Bieniemy is going to miss out on another round of NFL head coaching jobs. Could he make a lateral move to a different team after the season? Here's Mina Kimes on why that might be Bieniemy's next move. He obviously has aspirations of being a head coach and having been passed over, this might have to do with perceptions or questions about who's really responsible for the success of the offense, Kansas City, Andy Reid being a play caller. Now, it should be noted there have been many coaches in a similar position where the head coach has been a play caller who have gotten head coaching opportunities. Hmm. But he might feel that if he goes to a new team where he is the sole, you know, has ownership of the offense, he can really prove his mettle. I think they're two really interesting landing spots, being having been a running backs coach Um, Baltimore, obviously, the run game is a very big emphasis there, but I think Washington, with Sam Howell, is going to want to run the football a lot as well.
3: Amber, why can't Eric bien land a head coaching job in the NFL?
1: I don't know. I genuinely don't understand it. I think that this idea, like, I understand what Mina is saying, this idea that how much of it really is bien You're giving the credit to Andy Reid. But, I mean, we've seen that before. Like, nobody in San Francisco was crediting Mike McDaniel with the brilliance there. It was always... You know, if you knew about him, even if you were really even keyed in on him, it was always, oh, well, he's Shanahan's right hand man. It wasn't he's more important than Shanahan. It was still always Shanahan's offense. And by the way, Mike McDaniel has a head coaching job. I mean, it just seems strange. Some of the jobs that we've seen given out to these coordinators in the past and then the biggest of all of them with the most accolades in the last six years isn't part of the coaching carousel every year. I I don't really fully understand it. I mean, I don't know if it's an interview issue. I, 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 I don't get it, Joe. I can't explain it. I really can't. Guys who sat on the same airplane as Sean
2: McVay got head coaching jobs. So it has nothing to do with whether or not he's responsible for Patrick Mahomes or not. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, there are so many guys that McVay got jobs, like Kingsbury. How did Kingsbury get a head coaching job? He didn't even win in college. He didn't win anywhere. (laughs) He had Patrick Mahomes in college, and he was actually worse than the previous regimes that were there. Like, there's no reason for him to get that job, but I don't want to digress. Whatever it is, it's something we don't know that hasn't been made public. There's clearly something with Eric Biennemi as to why nobody wants to hire him. I don't want to take a shot at him because I don't know what it is. But this is just too obvious. You can't be the offensive coordinator of the best offense in football and three hiring cycles in a row go by. And not only do you not get a job, but did anyone even attempt to interview him for a head coaching job
1: this year? Not this year that I heard of. He went
2: from lots of interviews but couldn't get it to some interviews and couldn't get it, to basically no interviews. And now we're just talking about him going to another team to be an offensive coordinator. There is something there. Maybe he's just, and I'm speculating, maybe he's just not what they call a leader of men. Some of these guys are really good at scheming up X's and O's, but they just can't lead. I'm not saying that's not him, but there is obviously, obviously a glaring flaw that the NFL knows about that we don't, because this is the most bizarre situation for those of us on the outside looking in.
1: I mean, we just saw a guy coach the Denver Broncos who apparently had some leadership problems with that right. organization. I mean, we've seen so many coaches get opportunities. Obviously, there's a racial component to this conversation as well when we talk about coaching carousels and hiring practices in the NFL. But with Eric Bieniemy, it feels like there's got to be more than even any of us can guess. I I mean, I'm kind of with you because it's so odd. It's so strange. And I I just can't, I just can't explain it. I can't understand it. Joe and Amber is presented by progressive insurance and we're sure. I mean, Mina said there, he wants a head coaching job. Like we're all, we're sure he does. Right. Because I've always wondered that, like, does he not really, really, really want one last year
2: and two years ago? He definitely did the last years. He hasn't said as much about it this year, but in previous years, he he was very clear that he wanted to be an NFL head coach.
1: Strange, strange. Strange situation. Coming up next, NFL honors are tonight. Will Patrick Mahomes win his second MVP? And what does that mean for his legacy? We'll get into it. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, and you can listen to us on the ESPN app.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: The NFL honors are tonight. The award ceremony starts at 9 p.m. tonight. And so. We will be on air when this thing starts, Joe, because you get an extra 30 minutes tonight of Joe and Amber. We are taking you up until 930 tonight. Let's talk for a moment about these NFL awards. We're going to find out tonight who the MVP of the league is going to be. Is there any chance in your mind that it ain't Patrick Mahomes?
2: Of course there's a chance because you can't trust the voters. And I mean that with, I guess, all due respect, but... You never know what the motivation is for some of these guys. You never know if they're paying attention. For example, and I'm going to depart for just a little bit here, Comeback Player of the Year. Mm -hmm. What should that award be for? Because everyone's trying to tell me Geno Smith should be up for that award. What did he come back from? From being bad. And
1: he is up for that award. It's it's Geno Smith, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley. And Geno Smith came back from being bad.
2: Yeah, that's not that's not what that awards about. That award is about overcoming adversity. Nick Gates for the New York Giants who looked like his career was going to be over. I think he had seven surgeries on his leg, battled all the way back to play. That's comeback player of the year. Alex Smith is comeback player of the year. Just because you were bad and then you had a good season doesn't mean you're comeback player of the year. Now that could be most improved player, but it's also, not comeback player. Is he
1: coming back from anything? Was Geno Smith ever good before Seattle? <laughs>
2: That's what I'm telling you. He was like, Great.
1: Like there's at no least with comeback. Like at least with Saquon, it's like you're coming back also from injury. And also you used to be excellent, and then you became excellent again. You yeah. know, and you were injured in the middle there. So he was
2: dinged up and he came back. And you know what? Yes, he came back from that injury to play well, which we all know he can do. Same thing with yeah. McCaffrey. And it's not to take away from these guys. It's just I don't think a lot of guys who vote, or at least some people, they don't really pay attention. I don't think they watch offensive linemen. I don't think they watch defensive linemen. I think you have Heisman voters who, at the end, are doing Google searches to see, you know, who are the most popular guys that I should be voting for here. Like, are you really in the weeds watching guys that play in the secondary for Oregon late at night? Are you going through the linebackers, or are you just watching the quarterback? So, all the way to your point on the original question, is there any chance— Mahomes doesn't win? Yeah, there's a chance because you can't trust some of the voters because it's a human award. They're out there handling the votes. But it shouldn't go to anybody else because what Mahomes has done with this team post Tyreek Hill, the way he kept the production up, losing one of the best receivers in football, how many guys can do that? take the best receiver away from every quarterback in the NFL. How many of them play just as well the following season, if not better?
1: They'd be toast. Uh, You know, we saw Jalen Hurts without A.J. Brown. Uh, It didn't look the same. Now there's obviously some development there as well, but Patrick Mahomes, you're right. He quite literally lost his best weapon and then yet still elevated all of the talent around him. I think this is a no-brainer. In a weird season where for so long, so much of the season, the first half of the season, there was no clear MVP frontrunner. We could have The argument about Justin Jefferson. We could have had the argument about Jalen Hurts, but at the end of the season, and Josh Allen as well, and Joe Burrow is certainly in that conversation, though he came on later in the season as part of that conversation. It's one of those guys that I just mentioned, but for me, it's easily Patrick Mahomes this season. Mahomes, the chief quarterback, was asked about what it would mean to him to win this MVP. It
0: mean the world man I mean to, to be able to to win that award it 's so special it 's so hard to do, and uh, there's so many greats that have won that award and to be a part of that history is is amazing and so um it, it's definitely it 's definitely something that you want to you want to look back on your career and say you, you got that award and um, to be able to win that again it 's not only a testament to me but my team because as much as an individual award it's a team award as well and I, I hope my teammates know
1: that. Joan Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Patrick Mahomes always says all the right things. Uh, It's not a team award, buddy. It's a you award.
2: Uh, A little bit. I will say, how often do you find an MVP who wasn't a one or a two seed? historically, you have to win a lot of games in order to be up for this award. In the NBA, we saw Russell Westbrook win the MVP that year because he averaged a triple-double, and I believe they were the sixth seed. But in the NFL, you have to go back a long way to find a consistent stretch of award winners who were not one or two seeds. So when you're handicapping this award and you're looking to make bets, you need to handicap the team and how well they'll play, which largely is based on the performance of the quarterback in question.
1: Well, you're right, and all of these guys play on good teams. I mean, the Vikings, obviously, a very disappointing end to a season there. Justin Jefferson's still part of this conversation, but the Vikings were good all season long, or all regular season, or at least in terms of the records and the seeding. I agree with you that typically you're going to find MVPs on good teams, and yes, it has something to do with having good weapons and having a good O-line and all of that. But I just think with Patrick Mahomes, it's so unbelievably impressive because he proved this season that he really can elevate the talent around him, that he really can do it, not with anybody. I mean, he still has a good receiver room, but it's just so much more impressive to me what he was able to do after leaving, losing Tyreek. And then Tyreek, by the way, having a heck of a season down in Miami. It ain't like Tyreek wasn't legit. Tyreek was just as legit as we thought he was. There's a lot of other awards that we're going to find out about tonight Give me as your thoughts. Well. Well? On
2: coach of the year, that is the most compelling race to me. Who do you give it to on coach of the year?
1: Coach of the year is between Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, and Kyle Shanahan. That is a very hard one for me to decide. For I mean, I I think I I honestly think I'd give it to Brian Dable. but I, I have a hard, I struggle because Peterson. Looks phenomenal as well. I think Peterson is aided by what a dumpster fire it was under Urban Meyer last season, and he comes in and he just provides some semblance of continuity and gets – so much more out of Trevor Lawrence.
2: Dable should win it because the Giants were a complete disaster based on what Gettleman set them up to be. But Peterson taking over the team with the number one draft pick and winning the division and a playoff game is is a miracle based on how they looked under Urban Meyer.
1: And Kyle Shanahan, it's a miracle what he's been able to do with losing all of his quarterbacks. Now, of course, this is a regular season award, so we didn't know. Uh, that they were going to lose all of them in the NFC Championship. But it was remarkable that he was able to keep them in the position to compete in a postseason when they were down to their third-string quarterback. So it makes sense that he's part of this conversation as well.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
2: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.